It's more where I talk about a topic that I think is pretty applicable for all of us. And it's, um, I want to start talking about it by looking at this man, John Lennon. How many of you, some of you are old enough to remember when the Beatles broke up. Any Beatles fans in the house? Okay. If you know me, you know I'm a lifelong Beatles fan. Um, even though I didn't grow up during the time, I always liked that era's music better. Well, right when the Beatles broke up, John Lennon put together a solo album. And on this album, he put together a track, which was always one of my favorite tracks musically, though I never really loved the words very much. The song was called God. And in the song God, if you've ever heard it, he basically talks about all the things that he doesn't believe in, John Lennon, all the things that his life are not about. So he says, my life is not about, you know, I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe in um, the Bhagavad Gita. I don't believe in, and he goes, say, the Beatles, Elvis, presidents. I don't believe in all these things. That's what other people care about. He even goes as far as to say, I don't believe in the Bible, and I don't believe in Jesus. And you're wondering at this point, well, John, what do you believe in exactly? And by the end of the song, he says, I just believe in me. He adds Yoko in me after that for his wife, Yoko Ono. But essentially what he's saying is, I just believe in me. My life isn't about all these things that you make your lives about. My life's about me. That's what I believe in. I always loved the song musically, but can never really sing it because I didn't feel like it could jive with my faith. Uh, and I'd have to make the words sound a little weird if I started making like, I just believe in Jesus at the end. So I just didn't sing the song. But I realized over time, that John Lennon was honest about something that even as Christians, we can sometimes think like and live like and make our life about. Namely, that it's all about us. We can make our life all about us. I had recently come across an article written to Christian leaders. And the title of the article was, Stop Photobombing Jesus. You know what photobombing is? Here's an example of photobombing. George Clooney, photobombing famous people. And photobombing is where you make a picture all about you that's not supposed to be about you. And the article was saying, sometimes Christian leaders photobomb Jesus when they make their ministries all about them rather than about Jesus. So I'm tempted right now to get you to think I'm smart and wise. I'll just be honest. That's happening in here. If that becomes more important than pointing you to God's word, I'm photobombing Jesus, making it all about me. All of us in the ministries that we are a part of, when we make that ministry more about getting what we want and about us, rather than about how that ministry can help other people, we're photobombing Jesus. When any of us as a church are saying, I care more about what this church can do for me and how it can meet my needs, more than how we can meet the needs of one another and our community for the sake of Jesus, we're photobombing Jesus and we're making our lives all about us. What do we do about this tendency that we have, not just unbelievers, but believers, to have this tendency to do that? That's what I want to think about this morning, and I want to think about it in light of the passage that Rich just read from Acts chapter 8. So please go to Acts chapter 8 if you're not there already, and I want to give you some background, some context to Acts chapter 8, so that when we walk through it, it makes a little bit more sense. The book of Acts is all about the rise of the early church. It's a sequel that its author, Luke, 
wrote to his biography of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the Gospel of Luke. In Acts chapter 1, we see that God, through Jesus, or Jesus is calling his disciples to take the gospel to Jerusalem, the city they're living in, to Judea and Samaria, the outlying regions, and then to the end of the world. In Acts chapter 2, they're given the Holy Spirit, so that they're doing this not out of their own strength, but out of God's strength. By the time we get to Acts chapter 8, the gospel has gone into Jerusalem, it's now going into Judea, and now it's in Samaria. Philip is bringing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to the people in Samaria. And it's within that context that we come upon the story of Simon. It's the story of Simon I want to look at today, because I think the story of Simon and how Luke is telling it is supposed to get us to understand something in light of the struggle that we have to make everything about us. And the big idea of this story is going to be this. Your life is not about you. Your life is not about you. It's going to show us this in a couple different ways that we often use to make our life about us. We usually make our life about our success or about our possessions. And and Luke is going to challenge both of those through this story. First, he's going to talk about how our life is not about our success. So let's just look in verses 9 through 13 and notice a few things. First, in verse 9, we come upon this man named Simon, and we learn about him that he's practicing sorcery in the city. He's a magician. We don't know if this is kind of uh, America's Got Talent trickery style magic or if this is like real sorcery as described elsewhere in Scripture where dark forces are at play. But what Luke's main focus on is here is that Simon, in doing this for his career, is really successful at it. Notice in verse 9, all the people were amazed at him. And then Simon was somewhat amazed himself. He said he boasted that he was someone great. And the people agreed in verse 10, saying that he's even called the great power of God. He is on the level of the divine in their perspective and in his. Simon's doing really successful. He's having a really successful career. He's doing really well right now. And something shocks his world. Something rocks his world in verse 12. Look what happens. But when they, the people who had been amazed at Simon, believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So all of a sudden, someone else comes to town who begins to take Simon's attention from him. And what's pretty amazing here is that Simon actually decides to believe in verse 13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And you're hoping at this point in the story that everything's going to change for Simon. It seems like he's become a Christian. He believes maybe his, his pattern of making everything about him and his career is going to change. Now he's going to be all about Jesus and his kingdom. But look what happens in verse 13. Simon himself believes, but then he starts following Philip everywhere. Why? Because he's astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. He's not beginning to follow Philip around so that he can become more like Jesus and be mentored by Philip. He's following Philip around because he sees a business opportunity. Philip has signs, he has miracles, and the people are pretty attracted to Philip and his message. So maybe if I stick around Philip a little bit more, my business will get back on the rise, I'll do better, and I'll be successful again. Even though Simon has come to Christ, it seems, everything is still about him. 
And one of the ways we can make our lives all about us is by making it all about our success. Sometimes success in our careers. We're talking about work and the Christian life in men's breakfast on a monthly basis. And one of the things you're going to see is work is a good thing. Okay? We were given work as humans by God as something that we were called to, to care for his good world. Notice what it says here. Genesis chapter 2, early on, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So far, so good. Work is a good thing, something we're called to. Only nine chapters later, though, Genesis 11, those who are making the Tower of Babel say this about their work. Let us make a name for ourselves. Work has become something that was supposed to be about God and his good world. Oh, man. Is it working yet? No. (laughs) It's supposed to be about God and his good world. And now it's become about us and making a name for ourselves. And if we're honest as Christians, we can still do this with our work. This can even happen when our work seems like a great opportunity to do really Christian things. Like Bebo Norman, some of you know Bebo. He's not a Christian singer anymore, but he was. And one of the things Bebo really struggled with, if you know anything about his career, is how everything started to become about him. He was singing about God, but the music and the press and all the attention became about him and his success. And he writes this song I'd really recommend you listening to called Disappear. It's all about how he wanted to just disappear from all this glory coming on him. And he says a line in it that's always stuck with me. He says, I'm so tired of it being about me. Even the career of a Christian music singer could become all about him. And if we're honest, our careers, when they become not about doing good for others, meeting others' needs, doing good for providing for our family, doing good by caring for God's good creation, and it becomes about us and our success, we're living out of line with the truth that our life is not about us. It's not about our success in our career. But there's other ways we sometimes make success what our life is all about. Sometimes it's in the world of relationships, popularity, fame. This starts really early on, actually, for people. Um, Some of you have seen this movie, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. See, I threw you the John Lennon for the old people, and I'm throwing Diary of the Wimpy Kid for the younger people. But I like this movie. The first one uh, is all about this boy. What's his name again? Some of you may know it. Greg. You would know it, the youth pastor. Um, It's all about Greg. And Greg Heffley, his whole vision is, how do I become more popular? That's what elementary school is about. And, And he ruins friendships. He ruins his integrity, all so that he can become more and more popular, so he can be more successful. That's what his life is all about. He even draws in his diary this popularity ladder where you can be like, you know, down at 200 if you're not a really popular kid. And the whole movie is, what can I do to move up that ladder and become more popular? His life is all about success with popularity. And he's not seeing, your life is not about you, Greg. But before we beat up on kids too much, I think we need to realize that as adults, we can still do this. We just call it networking. And we talk about our social network and our brand And all of this becomes just, you know, a way to make sure we're doing well in our career. And that can be true, but it can also be dangerous. Because in our age of social media, we can each become kind of mini-celebrities. 
in which life becomes all about, are we getting likes? Are we getting followers? Why isn't anyone checking me out anymore on online? I mean, this is true for me. I've, I've begun doing this monthly email for work, and I'm always asking our marketing department, how many more people have signed up for it? And when I hear that more people have signed up for it and I'm more successful, I feel better about myself. Like somehow I am a more significant person because more people are reading a monthly email. It's ridiculous, but it's a sign of how in just small ways we can make our life, and in, and in email, which is supposed to be about really good content, all about us and our success. And as Christians, we need to hear that God is telling us, your life is not about you. It's not about your success. Sometimes it's not just our success that we make our life about when we make our life about us. Sometimes it's our possessions. It's things we own. It's things we want to own. And that becomes clear in Simon's life as you continue in this story. Let's look at verses 14 through 19 now. If you remember where we left Simon as he is spending time with Philip, he's trying to learn some new tricks of the trade for his business so that he can be successful again because it's all about him. Now in verse 14, we see that apostles from Jerusalem come to Samaria because they had heard that people in Samaria had come to Christ. But an interesting thing happened here. Uh, It says when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now one would think in the book of Acts so far that all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but apparently Christians in Samaria didn't yet. Why is that? Well, some people believe it's because the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you receive him, doesn't come until maybe a later time after you convert. So there's two acts. There's getting saved, there's converting to Christ, and then there's a spirit baptism later on. I don't think that's what this passage is about. I think what it's really saying is this is a one-off time where God was doing something special, where he was showing, because of all the racial strife between Jews and Samaritans, that through the apostles coming and laying hands on these Samaritan Christians, he was showing there's unity across all Christians, whether you're Jewish whether you're in Samaria, as the gospel is spreading throughout the world, I believe God wanted them to know there's no room for distinctions between races or ethnicities. All people, all people are equal before God and have the Holy Spirit. But to the point of the story that Luke is telling, what I think is significant is that Simon isn't that concerned about whether he has the Holy Spirit to help him follow Christ. What is Simon concerned about? Let's look in verse uh, 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. For Simon, everything is still about him. He sees in the apostles' ability to give the Holy Spirit to people a great business opportunity. If I can learn and get that same ability, sure, I'll pay you for it, but then I can sell it to other people. This is just a great return on, the, on investment. He's still not thinking, wow, look at what God's doing. There's a Holy Spirit. He can work through you to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God. No, for him, it's still all about him. First, it was about his success. Now it's also about his possessions. How much money can I get if I would pay you for this Holy Spirit? And for us, as Christians even, we can still make our life all about our possessions. We would say, yes, our life is about God, but sometimes how we live and how we think, our life is about that next new thing we can get. 
Once I get that new car, then I'll be fulfilled. Once I get that new piece of technology, then I'll feel better. Once I get that new house I can move into, then I'll be set. It's always that next thing. And then we get it, and then our life becomes about that thing and how much we value it. This is something that is true of me. Um, This is my lawnmower. Now, you might think, how on earth is he connecting the lawnmower with possessions of value? I mean, look at that thing. It's not even really a nice lawnmower. But there's a story behind this lawnmower and my possessions, which is this. Um, I mowed my lawn, and right after mowing my lawn, I received a text. It was a text from my neighbor. And the neighbor was giving me instructions on how I should be using my lawnmower and where I should be mowing my lawn on my property. And my, my initial thought as I looked at that text was, who are you to tell me how to use my lawnmower? And who are you to tell me where to mow my lawn? But here's the thing. It's not just about me and my possessions. My, neighbor know I'm, my neighbors know I'm a Christian. And that text is an opportunity for me to say, is life about me right now and getting my rights, which is to tell you off? Or, or maybe, is maybe responsibility to God more significant than my rights at that moment? And maybe what I need to do here is say, I can show this person through my response and hopefully being different that there's something different about what Christ can do in somebody. That's really hard. Another thing happened yesterday, and I'm like, Debbie's like, you totally had this happen to you because you're preaching the sermon. You know, it, <laughs> it doesn't make it easy. But our life isn't about us. It's not just about us getting what we want. It's remembering that our life is about him. Sometimes with our possessions, it works a little bit of a different way. At the core of our thinking about possessions and our life being about them is this idea of what I can get. Not just what I can give, but what I can get. And I think sometimes as Christians here at Grace, we can even take on that perspective of what do I get? I don't think this is just a grace issue. This is like a church human issue. How many people, when you choose a church, Choose it based on, what can I get here? How is their children's ministry? How is their preaching? How is this? How is that? What can I get out of this? Rather than, God, what are you calling me to? Can I give here? Can I serve here? There are some really good reasons to not join a life group. But here's one that I don't think is that great. Uh, I don't need to join a life group because I already have friends. I don't need a life group. Well, you might not need a life group, but it may be that a life group needs you. It may be that you don't need friends and you are set, but there could be people in our church who don't have friends and who need you to reach out for them. This is not a life group guilt trip, though I am the the head of life groups here at Grace, so it's only like a little bit of a life group guilt trip. Really what I'm saying is when we make decisions about what ministry to, to be a part of, where should I get connected The question isn't just, what do I get out of it? Because your life is not about you. Now, I've been going on this, you know, talk about what your life is not about. And you may be thinking, so what is life about? You keep telling us your life is not about you. What exactly is life about then that that you're saying? 
What is the priority? I think this becomes clear as we finish the story of Simon in verses 20 through 25. So look back at these at these verses with me in verses 20 through 25. And we see that in verse 20, Peter's not too happy with Simon for asking to buy the Holy Spirit. Some pretty harsh words. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. He goes on to say in verse 21, you have no part in this ministry. You don't need to be thinking about that. What you need to be thinking about is verse 22, repenting of your wickedness and praying to the Lord so that you can receive forgiveness and get your heart right with God. 23, what he's, Peter sees in Simon, I think, is right on. He says, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I think Simon is bitter right now. He had been successful. Life had all been all about him, and now he's, it's not about him anymore. He's not getting what he needs. He's not getting what he wants, and he's captive to this sin of making all of life about him. And you're hoping at this point in the story, could it be that Simon's going to turn here? Could it be that this is his moment to come to God and to repent? And let's see how he responds in verse 24. Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon doesn't turn to God. He doesn't fall on his knees and repent and say, I'm so sorry that I've made everything about me. What does he do? Though, do He says, you pray, you talk to him. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. It's still all about him. And when we're thinking about what is our life about? Is it about us? No. What is it about? I think that becomes evident what life is about when you see the contrast that Luke is making in this passage between Simon and Philip and the other Christian leaders, John and Peter. We've seen that Simon throughout has been all about what? Himself. His life is about him. Notice what Philip has been about. Verse 12, people believed Philip as he was doing what? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Good news, the gospel of the kingdom in Jesus. Notice in verse 25, what are Peter and John doing? It says, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel, the same good news of the kingdom of God that Philip had been preaching. Your life is not about you. Your life is about God's kingdom. That's what your life is about. Now, for some people, when I say that, you think, "Ah, that kind of sounds restrictive. That doesn't sound very great to me. And you might resonate with something that the well-known atheist Christopher Hitchens said. He said that the idea of God's kingdom sounds to him like a cosmic North Korea. He's saying a place where you're controlled, uh, everything is about God, not about you. You don't, you're not fulfilled. You don't flourish as a human being. That's what God's kingdom is about. And that, on that description, it sounds like really bad news, God's kingdom. Which is interesting because in this passage, it's been twice referred to as good news. Why is Luke convinced and Philip convinced and Peter and John convinced that God's kingdom isn't bad news, like Christopher Hitchens says, but is actually good news for us. Well, I think in showing you a contrast between two modern-day figures, it becomes a little bit clear why we would say that our life being about God's kingdom rather than about us is actually really good news for us. 
First figure I'm going to point to is Josh Radner. Josh is known as um, Ted, I think Ted Mosby maybe, on the show, um, getting shaken, <laughs> getting some people saying yes, on the show How I Met Your Mother. Some of you know this show. And Josh Radner, since the show ended, has begun giving talks about the impact of fame and success. And he talks about how when he joined the show, and the show got more and more popular, and he got more and more successful, and life became more and more about him, what happened to him? And this is what he says. He says, I had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I tasted success, I would be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed. Why did he get depressed? He was totally successful. Life was all about him. Isn't he supposed to flourish? Isn't that the dream that it becomes all about us and everyone else knows that it's all about us? No, because we're not made to live like that. We weren't made to live in a world where everything is all about us. And when we live like that is the case, this is what happens to us. We don't find that we flourish. We don't find fulfillment. We go to a dark place when it's all about us. I'm going to contrast that with a person who you knew I had to bring up this week. Carson Wentz, four touchdowns Monday night. Everybody's talking about him. Secular news media is talking about him. But what's interesting to me, and the reason I'm showing Carson this week, is because I've heard multiple people on the radio who aren't Christians talk about his faith. And what they said was, how is it that he's getting all this attention and only a second year, he's like the life of the city right now. Everybody loves him. He's so successful, yet he seems so grounded. Why isn't he more stressed out? Or why isn't it going to his head? And one of the things Carson Wentz has said in response is, my faith is number one in my life. And what he says is, I serve an audience of one. That's who I play for. Notice his shirt, A. Oh, one with a cross in the middle. What that means for Carson Wentz is, as he's talked, whether I throw four touchdowns or four interceptions, that's not going to be what causes me to have a really high high or a really low low. My life isn't about me. And I'm not here to become more successful with Philadelphia Eagles fans. My life is being lived out for God. Notice the difference between what happens when you're Josh Radner is everything is about you and how you, and that it impacts you, and your life is about you, and how your faith, when that becomes what's number one, when your life is about God's kingdom rather than yours, what happens? You're able to handle the good days and the bad days because your life is no longer about you. So how do we participate in God's kingdom? If that's true, what do we do about that? Well, I think what's if it's true that our life is about God's kingdom and not us, what do we do about that? And I think what's encouraging here is unlike when we're living for our kingdom and us, God's kingdom isn't about what you can do, first and foremost. Simon, in order to build his kingdom, he had to do marketing to get his name out there. He needed to tell everyone how great he was. He needed to spend time with Philip to learn the new tricks of the trade. He had to try to buy the Holy Spirit. All that was so that he could be successful, so that he could have his kingdom flourish. What happens with God's kingdom, though? It's not about what you can do to receive it. It's what God has already done and can continue to do through you. What does Peter say to Simon? Repent. Get your heart right with God. 
Because God's kingdom isn't something, and the Holy Spirit isn't something you can earn. It's something that's given to you as a free gift. If you sense in your own life that you are living for yourself, that your life is all about you and your kingdom, that it's always all about me, then God opens freely the opportunity for you to come to him in faith and trust and find that your life doesn't have to be about the weight on your shoulders of it all being about you, but can it, become, it can become all about him. So is your life all about you? Your life is not all about you. Your life can be about God's kingdom. And fortunately, that is very good news. Let's pray. Father, I confess personally that on a daily basis, I can make my life all about me. What I want, what I need, the praise I want, the affirmation I want from other people, my thoughts can so be so me-centered. And I think that can be true for many of us. And I ask that you would just free us of that, that you would give us a vision of your kingdom, that you would help us to not just ask what's in it for me, but that we would always ask in any situation we encounter, whether in the church or outside the church, that we would ask the question, what do you want of us? Help us to see that human flourishing and human fulfillment comes not through making everything about us, but by living for you. Thank you that you have made salvation, your rule and reign, the Holy Spirit, all of it available to us free of charge through just our stepping out in faith to you. Help us to live as your people in a way that's faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.